Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. back people what's up what's up giving some time yep we are alrighty we are talking about understanding we got 96 right now six yes Yes. 96 yes talking about understanding so the last episode we started very general Mm -hmm. um and then we were like connecting it to some issues that are very practical some issues that are very abstract Mm mm-hmm Talked about teaching, talked about music, talked about blah, 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 all this stuff, um, this hermeneutics thing. Mm-hmm. And I think now one of the things we're saying is we can transition into specifically the idea of not only verbal communication, but symbolic communication. Mm-hmm. So text and maybe other things aside mm-hmm. from text. And the, what are you thinking when you say other things? cultural symbols okay right uh, like the be, cross it could be religious mm-hmm. it could be like if you were to see um a flag mm-hmm. or the logo of a band mm-hmm. even or if you were to see a meme mm-hmm. i think i think that stuff's really interesting true um so i think there's there's hermeneutic aspects to all of this or even sound motifs Mm. or visual motifs Mm -hmm. um in movies and things like that motifs in general Mm. um art but i think probably the text is the place to start because this is the place where these philosophers really focus Mm -hmm. because it makes sense because so much of history basically all of it Mm -hmm. is passed down through these things yeah no computers back then no, <laughs> and thank God for that. <laughs> you're you're against you're uh, against technology. We have figured it out, right? You, f- you figured this out like years ago, like years and years ago. Now, um, so how where to start? Well, I think a question. There's a littler question that I'm thinking that's like um, focused on, mm-hmm. and then there is a bigger question, mm-hmm. and I'll start with the littler question. Because it'll connect to the big one. Mm-hmm. We could just kind of go wherever. So the one question people talk about a lot in this this field is, what is the relationship between the text and the author of the text? Definitely. And what role does that relationship play in our understanding slash interpretation, if there's a difference, if mm-hmm. they mean different things, um, of that text? Mm-hmm. Larger question, what is the text, quote okay. unquote. And that one, I think, is the most interesting one. I think that both are interesting. So, but you're saying that the, that we should answer the first one in order to get to the second well, one? I don't know. And actually, there's a third one okay. that I think is actually where we should start that's much okay. more concrete. What happens to you when you read a text? Okay. So, we're we're looking at what the thing is, 
the relationship that he has with whoever makes that thing and the relationship that he has with whoever is on the receiving end of that. Because this is how it shapes yeah. our understanding, not yeah. as separate from the world, but as the world itself in some sense. So and you're saying that we should probably start with what happens to us as readers? Yeah. When like you read a lot. Yeah, I do. You, re- you are the person who reads the most that I know in my life. That's awfully good. Yeah. <laughs> that is awfully good. Yeah, I cannot stay without reading. It's like almost an obsession, I think, mm-hmm. uh, in a weird way. No, but um, what happens? Well, start to, with nonfiction, maybe. To, I was about to ask. Like, it depends on what I'm reading, right? Yeah. If I'm if I'm doing nonfiction, if I'm reading philosophy, for example, or even other stuff, other disciplines, uh, I think I think that what's happening is what we described before, right? All of a sudden, I am getting entangled with some other people's horizons, mm. and I am all of a sudden engrossed in living, literally expanding. Um, whatever surrounds me in order to understand. So I'm at the point, I think, in my life that when I read nonfiction, it's not about exploring territories that are completely new, mm-hmm. but it's rather um, kind of shedding more light in the surrounding stuff, right? The, the, the base is there. So at this point, I am just adding and adding on and I'm building the third floor and the fourth floor mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. high rise right and that means sometimes to make these connections or to make my thoughts even clearer right at mm-hmm. some point you're reading something I'm reading something and I'm understanding what I'm thinking aside from what the other person is saying okay. and, and this has some how can we say counterindications it has some side effects sometimes depending on what you're reading after, so if a book if a text that i'm reading is good really good Mm -hmm. i'll walk out of it not knowing if the stuff that i have in my head now are completely coming from the text or if it's my thoughts or Mm. if it's together it's like where you end and it begins that it becomes the case what about you what can i ask a couple questions first sure um and then i'll of course i'll speak to this when you read Mm -hmm. um Do you hear the words as you're reading them? Um, good question. Only when I start reading, and then it it's, and then it's gone. So it's like I always have this analogy when I think of aesthetic experience, but I think it's pertinent here. It's like when you watch a movie, like The Princess Bride, for example, or like The Sandlot, where there's the opening, mm-hmm. "Once upon a time, let mm-hmm. me tell you," and then like you hear the, and then all of a sudden, it's just the story's happening. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that that makes sense. There's that initial kind of bodily mechanical thing. Yeah, you, you need to get into the focus, the, the focus and stuff like that. But the moment that happens, like I, I think I told you, it's happened to me that I start reading, and then if it's a night. And I look at the mm-hmm. watch and it's like 3 a.m. I'm like, damn, ah. I have to wake up tomorrow like at 7. So, okay. So you start to hear it and then eventually it disappears. Mm-hmm. That that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, when you hear it, mm-hmm. does where you hear it take place in the same space where you are? 
mm. or is it a different space? And and how does that change if it changes when when the the voice, so to speak, disappears? Hmm. So, if I understand the question, I think it happens in the same space. Okay. I think there's a separate compartment there. And when it disappears, it simply it becomes like the stream that's there. I don't even know this. And mind you, I'm not just most of the time when it's nonfiction stuff. I'm not just reading, right? I'm also taking notes and writing and still You do flow, that? It still flows. And it still flows? Yes. Wow. It's yeah, still, I find that when I take notes and stuff that like that breaks the flow. Yes. Yeah. No, I can't I So I need to take notes the first time around. Hmm. The first time I read something. But then and then sometimes when I go back and reread again, then I start editing the notes. But it's like to me, it's it is like it is necessary. It's almost part of that flow. I feel weird if I'm not doing that. So to read well, mm-hmm. you have to also write. That seems to be the case and to fully you, understand it. Okay, I was gonna say, and if you don't write, then you don't understand it as well as you could have. I think so because I have that pause hmm. where I'm writing it. I'm putting in words, so I need to already do this translation, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. This is why probably the words of the author and my words become. I don't know which one is which anymore. Because hmm. right. you are both like a reader and an author at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know this is weird, apparently, but. I don't think it's weird. Uh, I think you're. I think you're. This is in the beginning of the first episode. I said they get into issues that we don't even think about. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. Like, what's mm-hmm. happening in my consciousness while I'm mm-hmm. reading something? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I am. At the same time, fully immersed, but still aware of the things that I'm doing, right? A very weird state of mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, but I think that I learned to do that. I wasn't like this before. It was harder to read and stay concentrated. And being concentrated to me meant getting into that flow. Mm. And I learned a trick that was, I need to annotate my book. Mm. And that was the trick. The moment I started doing that, I was like, done. (laughs) Done. All right, because uh, it's like it's an activity, yeah, and you're participating in yeah, it. Yeah, I guess so. So I you guess. can more easily get lost, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, and it makes sense that you had to learn to, because mm-hmm. I think, I think everything like this you have to learn. Like even listening to music, absolutely, you have to learn. Like what are the motifs mm-hmm. of pop music, mm-hmm. um, especially classical music? You have to know what's gonna like. You absolutely. can't just listen to a classical piece once. And enjoy it. I don't, at least not in my experience. You yeah, have to like right. be like, okay, what's you have to build up this structure of like anticipation of like, okay, and I know this is going to happen mm-hmm. after. The, and this is very much Husserl's um, like mm-hmm. inner time consciousness mm-hmm. and, and Brentano too. Very interesting. Um, when I listen to an album, you have to listen to an album more than once, absolutely, to really get it. I mean, we just did it. I, we just I, did. Yeah, I, I the need Queen to do it another, another time. So, um, but I'm even thinking. Way back when, when mm-hmm. we learned how to read, mm-hmm. when we were little, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Do you remember what it was like pre-reading when you just saw squiggles? I do not remember, and I think Barclay says that that's impossible to do because the moment mm. you get uncultured, you just kind of well, not if you you can't remember. He's saying that you cannot do that again. Do it actively, yes, yeah, yes. You cannot do that again. Um, I remember asking my mom to read me. 
mm. the title of the cartoon that I was about to watch. Okay. That I remember. What was I, it? It was like all the Tom and Jerry stuff oh, or okay. the, the Warner Brothers stuff. You know, they have the, the little... Like, the Looney Tunes yeah. blur with the circle. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when, when Wiley... Coyote. Coyote. Nice. Yeah, yeah. The Roadrunner. The Roadrunner. You know, they will have like the little things. And I would ask my mom, can you read this? Can you read this? Hmm. And she did for a little while. Then I was like... And then that became my motivation to start reading before I went to school. That's cool. That was like, oh, no. Nah. My mom was like, you want to read? You want me to read it? I'm not going to read to you anymore. You can learn. It's that, easy. That's very um, un, unschooling. Absolutely. Right? Like you just, you, you learn by need and by interest. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, that worked. Clearly. Uh, <laughs> clearly. I just think the person who reads the most. Um, if you were, if there was a book about you, that story you just told would be in it. <laughs> would be in it. Um, yeah, I remember before I could read, mm-hmm. and I like I have this story that Clara knows about where I was in. When do you learn to read? Maybe first grade. First grade between kindergarten and first grade, probably. Yeah, and before you know how to read, you know how to do math. That's at least how they taught it here. I, I don't remember. I, um, I think it's together for us. And I remember we we would go to computer because I was on the generation where like oh a new thing computer mm-hmm. and one of our. Uh, classes was computer class so we would go and play like little Mm -hmm. games that had educational Mm -hmm. epiphenomena (laughs) um and one of the it would just be math problems Mm -hmm. and i remember the first time i got a word problem Mm. and i remember being like what the hell is (laughs) this i don't know how to read this is just squiggles it looks like how chinese looks to me now right yeah um and it's such a weird experience. Like imagine, and text is everywhere. Imagine being, yeah. looking and just like being like, what are these weird shapes and lines yeah. everywhere? Yeah. If you go to a place where they use a different alphabet, still, that's the way you're going to feel. Yeah. When I, I was walking yesterday, when I took Rosie on the walk, we passed, there's this like Indian temple uh, in my town. And I've seen Indian words before, but some of them, the names, it was like this long. And mm-hmm. I looked at it and I felt, I was like, oh my God, that's mm-hmm. like what it's like to be a preschooler. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I went up doing is I just saw two numbers mm-hmm. sandwiched in between these squiggles and I just was like, let me just add them. <laughs> and I did and that was the right answer. Nice. Um, but I would try to redo it. Like when I was getting more philosophical, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. I was like 17, 18, 19, 20, I, would, I remember I would go to work at the, um, the data entry place mm-hmm. and I would go on break and I just needed it because I just hated working there and i would just try and zone out into a very poetic mindset at the park and i would look at signs and try to like just like look at it as squiggles and it's it's nearly impossible if not totally impossible Mm -hmm. unless you're like i don't know hallucinating or something Mm -hmm. but so something happens between that time and us now Mm -hmm. and you have to learn Mm -hmm. and once you learn you start seeing the things as if they were intrinsically meaningful mm-hmm. meaning that they conjure up first and foremost not actually the physical mm-hmm. shapes mm-hmm. but as some idea yeah or as some feeling yep. or activity or something like that mm-hmm. which is crazy it is it is would extra crazy for you because you speak to i will never get over the fact that you <laughs> fluently speak two languages this is amazing to me but i and i was about to say that actually there's another level to it. When you speak more than one language, then, so at first, you look at things like they have intrinsically, first, things have no meaning, right? Mm-hmm. Squiggles. Then, you start thinking that things intrinsically have meaning. And then, if you, when you learn that there are multiple languages, 
let alone speaking it, then you realize that they don't have intrinsic meaning. So you meaning. go back a little bit yeah, with another like, flavor. Like it's like it's not these things are they don't mean what they mean just because dog means mm-hmm, dog. Mm-hmm. But it's just like it's conventional, right? It's not it really is not. And then, you know, from there you move on. It's like when you when you reason in multiple languages that that's even more clear kind of yeah adds a level of complication and it screws you up completely at that point that pattern i I think is kind of everywhere whereas like you have a flow Mm -hmm. and the flow requires something like a suspension of disbelief Mm -hmm. of the like let's say ontical facts Mm -hmm. to use heidegger's term or basically the bare bones Mm -hmm. scientifically objective facts you have to kind of not focus on that to be in the flow mm-hmm. and that's where the meaning is and that's where the life is that's mm-hmm. where the significance is and it's only when you start to focus on it this is what heidegger calls um the ready to hand which is when you're in the flow and then it breaks and then mm-hmm. you're in the present at hand only when there's a break in the flow by focusing on it that's when it screws up mm-hmm. and it's like to to participate in mm-hmm. meaning mm-hmm. you have to just let go and yeah. Same thing what you're saying with books, mm-hmm. right? I hear the voice at first, and then I'm in the story. Mm-hmm. Same thing with um, aesthetic perception, mm-hmm. the aesthetic experience that I'm so interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a weird thing because there's questions like, why does that happen? Mm-hmm. And then there's questions like, well, what happens when you can't do that? Is it an attention problem? What's going on when you are not exactly. in flux? And when you look at words... Mm-hmm. How are you looking at Like, are you looking at every letter? Are you looking at the first and the last letter? Which mm-hmm. I know was a, a popular theory that you mm-hmm. don't actually look at every letter. You look at the first and the last. It's almost like the first and the last are your, what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And then everything in the middle is like your peripheral. Mm-hmm. And you're just like a mastermind of reading. So you have it. Oh, I know it's this thing. Mm-hmm. And then there, there's that on a macro level with like the first and last line of it, a, a, a line in mm-hmm. a book um, on... You know, not like a quote, but I mean like literally line mm-hmm. by lines of text. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I know. Um, but I think that so phonics goes into it. Yeah. Right? Which yeah. I was actually going to bring this up with you because your kids are in school. Mm-hmm. Um, the concept of sight words. Mm-hmm. Have you like dealt with this? Yeah. Was, they're older now, but yeah, it was the case. Has it? Was it like extremely frustrating when they did this? Oh, yeah. Because we oh, yeah. were talking about this recently and we're like, oh, God. Can't send her to school. This is gonna like screw with her literacy and <laughs> but and they're they're fine. They came out of it yeah, good. They're, they're okay. They're is okay, it because they're... you had to teach them phonics on top of sight words? Um, I don't think I did much of that actually. I think that we we always talked to our kids and we always spoke to our kids like adults. That's good. So it was never we never babied them that way, and um, we also allowed them to watch. some stuff on TV that maybe are a little older. Yeah, I was the same Than way. their age, right? But that helped their vocabulary and that helped eventually. And again, listening, to, if if they don't speak Italian, right? But listening to this, to us speaking a different language, I think he helped them also mm-hmm. with the phonics stuff. That makes I sense. Think, I would think so. But so all this goes into understanding yeah. a text, yeah. which yeah. is bizarre. Yeah, and... Uh, Again, what does it mean to understand the text completely uh, and how – and I think that's – we talked about this, how crazy it is somehow that 
we're understanding ideas, concepts, right, through letters. Through a non-concept, yeah. Through a non-concept, right. Very bizarre. Through a metaphor. Through a metaphor, right. How does that work, right? And, I'm, and there's always, like, and this is connected to the first thing that you were talking about, to the, the other stuff, right? So there's so many complications with this and so many questions to be asked, right? The first one is, how can a non-idea thing give me ideas and concepts? Also, how can this idea concepts eventually change the material status of me mm-hmm. and of the world? But that's we put that aside. We'll, we'll bracket that and we'll, we'll eventually. But then, how does that work? Like, there's this non-mind stuff that gets me into mind stuff. And allegedly, this mind stuff that I am understanding came from another mind that allegedly is expressing the same thing that I am understanding mm-hmm. through non-material stuff, right? Yeah. And first, there's a million things. Like one problem is, if you want the empiricism issue, how can I be sure that what I'm understanding is what the other is saying? And should it even matter? And secondly, there is like how these two non-material things uh, connect through the material stuff. Because the material stuff is the same. Mm-hmm. But then the material stuff might not be the same hmm. and possibly is not the same. So how does that work? I don't, I'm not sure. And again, and I guess I don't think we're going to solve this issue yeah. today. But I think the one thing that we can ask, though, doesn't matter. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm just for a sample right now. I'm just grabbing something because this issue gets even more complicated when you're talking about translation of languages. Oh, yeah. But even like in the same languages, like we're yeah. looking at this flyer for Philosophy mm-hmm. Club. Mm-hmm. This is weird. Like how? Yeah, it's like it's like it's almost like you're communicating mm-hmm. with someone. Yeah, it's almost like there's an other. Yeah, and you are in relation to this other, right? It's speaking to. I mean, we have mm-hmm. these phrases, right? It just really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. That's literally happening mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. when you're engaged with symbols and, and media. And again, but who is speaking to you, right? It right. It's like the thing you wrote in yeah. your. In, what, in my, what did you write exactly? Uh, I was like, hey. Hey, are you reading this? Hey, you're reading this. Uh, and then I was like, oh, what are you, who is speaking to you right now? Who is talking to you right now? Mm. Is it the professor? Is it this piece of paper? Is it you? Who is talking to you right now? While you read, who's talking to you? Yeah, is it is it Kant talking to me directly? Exactly. Is it like, hey, I'm making a connection with you. I'm being dead, but I'm still talking to you. <sighs> Are, are texts like zombies? You know what it reminds me are of? Are they the zombie boys? Like in iRobot and a lot of science fiction after Not this. Not iRobinson, right? Not iRobinson. <laughs> we should make a trailer dun, 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 with Will Smith. One man. And just like Bill Cosby doing weird stuff. Um, <laughs> you did do some weird stuff. <laughs> Imagine Will Smith. All right, you have to do this for the role, Will Smith. And he smacks you. Um... So in iRobot and a lot of science fiction, they have these little capsules that when someone dies, it's like, play this thing. Yeah. And it's like the after image of the person speaking to the mm-hmm. thing. And it's a hologram. It's related to our last conversation. Mm-hmm. It's like a hologram of the person, mm-hmm. which is not actually the person, mm-hmm. but it really is connecting you to the real person. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, we're not is literally... Is that a text? Is that a text? It's a symbolic Perception. It's not, it's not symbolic, though. It's not a symbol. 
the person is there because it's hologram, right? It's an image, though. A hologram, it's like... But it's not a symbol. You don't think it's a symbol? No, symbols are something that stand for something else. Right, and isn't the holographic image of Tupac at the concert like representing po- Tupac? But I think that that's kind of Tupac. It's oh. not a symbol of Tupac. Interesting. It's an image of Tupac. The two things are different. Images and symbols are different. Because you're saying the the image is more literal. Yeah, it's got to be literal. Would you say that a symbol is a type of image? Or are they separate things and we have to figure out a third I binding category? I think they're different. What's the third thing then? The, the thing that's rep- representation. Image, so literal representation. And symbolic representation. So you got me derailed here. I have this interesting <laughs> question that I'm wondering, which is, you could be right. Mm-hmm. Is it also possible that the literal, quote unquote, literal ones, um, are just really high resolution symbols? They're like so good at painting the image that we like think oh. it's not a symbol. No. No. Fair. I don't think so. I don't think there's too much to be gained or lost in this <laughs> fight, but just an interesting question. Okay, so... That, you want to know why? Why? Because I think that the symbol, if it's a symbol, should have zero natural resemblance to the thing. Oh, now you got me in territory. <laughs> I, know. I know. Because then how can you explain... So, so an image is a faithful representation. It's a, almost a duplicate mm-hmm. of the thing that is... Okay. Well, the symbol, uh, what can we say, sends us back to the meaning of the thing mm-hmm. without actually representing it uh, pedestically. The symbol is the analogy. Correct. It's the an mm-hmm. uh, logos, whereas the other one is like just trying to be mm-hmm. the logos. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's why there is a difference, for example, in religion, right? One mm-hmm. thing, if you have a representation of Christ something if you have just the cross or something else and these two things are very different i did not expect for this to be an issue so i love this um <laughs> because when you originally made this statement like um there's no resemblance to the thing mm-hmm. how do you explain then the the kind of psychological interconnectedness between things like phonetics and mood and the way symbols look. Can you give me an example? Like the fact that, like I brought this up in a, a many episodes ago, mm-hmm. how in psychology they have this experiment. Um, this thing that they call the Buba Kiki phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah, Where, like, they're like, yeah. B looks round, mm-hmm. K looks sharp. And so it seems like in the inception of the symbols or in the inception of the the things made from the symbols, there, there at least sometimes is a connection between the literal and that thing. Okay. So couple of things there i think that some of those things are cultural right mm-hmm. so i'm wondering and i'm not i can't speak for other some uh, other like the equivalent of letters or words in mm-hmm. another language they're not like the greek alphabet or our alphabet so i don't know 
if it's the same in Chinese or mm-hmm. the Indian. Well, Chinese is like even harder because it yeah. is supposed to be pictures. A yeah, little exactly. Bit. So it will better, better, yeah. So maybe Indian we can think or, of. Or, or Russian even. Or Russian. Russian though is very similar to, to Greek, so I don't know. Hmm. But again, regardless of that, I don't know if... So the assumption that you're making is or that this experiment makes is that there is a, a natural resemblance of the symbol, right, with, for, of the signifier with the, with the signified. Sort Something of, like that. Sort yeah. of, right? Um, like it's not arbitrary. It's not arbitrary. Yeah, so Saussure was not completely yeah, so, accurate. So I cannot get on board with this, obviously. It has to be arbitrary. Because otherwise, okay. it would not make any sense. Because you have to think that really the same. If you say the alphabet, yeah, in English, and you say in Italian, different letters will sound same letters sound differently sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily true that B sounds. Uh, oh no, of course, brown and stuff like that. Right? Icelandic you know? is like this. You look at stuff and it looks like I don't know L, but it's like Ev. exactly right. So. This is not necessarily certain. I don't think. I think that there is. These things are cultural and they're absolutely arbitrary and they're put in there. And then habit mm-hmm. makes us think that is natural, right? So you don't think K was the result of me embodying sharpness in a no. letter. It was rather K happened, and then sharpness happened, and then we like reciprocally. Mm-hmm. You put sharpness into K. Yes. Also, I think we need to make another distinction here. Sure. Images are one thing. Symbols are another thing. Letters are another thing. All these things are different. They're not the same category, I think. Uh, I think because, I agree, okay. except I would say letter is a subcategory of symbol. Uh, yeah, I can. Okay. We can say that. Okay. But I'm saying that the, the, the only thing is like letters are, I don't know. I don't want to say I don't think there's symbolic representations of sounds. They are. What are that? That's an interesting they, question. They're graphic representation of sounds, but there doesn't that doesn't mean that they're symbolic. They're not kind of sending you to think of the 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 the, the, the meaning of I or B or C, right? They're like graphic representations of sound. They are the way mm. in which you have established that is actually more of an image, maybe. This is the way we represent the sound. P- that becomes the face. The face of K becomes the letter K. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but wouldn't you have to say, given your previous position, mm-hmm. that K was not made with this in yeah. mind, would, wouldn't it have to be? A symbolic rather than, than an image in yes. itself. Yes. Unless we imagined... Uh, but think of a painting, right? A t- painting is an image, mm-hmm. right? Unless it's a symbolic painting, whatever. Sure. whatever. But think of a, a landscape. The landscape doesn't need to exist in the same. Look at one of those. Like, yes, th- those of things clearly don't exist, right? Yeah. But they are landscapes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are a representation, an image of a landscape, right? They're okay. Not symbolic. Because because they they literally represent things, right? 
Oh, so yet, a symbol's not a representation? Mm-mm. Well, didn't before we say it was a representation? Let's think, let's think of a symbol. Yeah. Uh, the flag? The flag, sure. Okay. Sure. The flag is, I was thinking actually of something even like of a logo. Okay. Let's think of uh, Nike? Yeah. Okay. Right. So that thing, the, the what's it called? The, the swoosh? The swoosh, whatever. Uh, that does it. There's zero resemblance with Nike, the factory, or the shoe, or whatever you want to associate with, right? Mm. But yet, just by looking at that, there's a whole series of meanings, other images, and stuff that have absolutely nothing to do with that that mm-hmm. appear to your mind, right? With the flag is the same, right? This, the United States, they're not a bunch of stripes and stars, right? This is really interesting to me because even with the Nike swoosh, uh-huh. it looks like swoosh. Like that's why. Yeah. Right. So there's like a connectedness. But, but what does it what does it symbolize? Well, if you think about a swoosh in basketball, you think about athleticism. You think like flow and ease. But I think that the symbol is be- every time you see that, what do you think? You think oh, it's it- become larger than that. Sure, it's the company. But I'm saying every time you see players, that symbol, yeah. You don't think of all those things. You think of Nike. I think of Nike, which is associated with those things, though. Eventually, if you think about it, Eventually. right? But yeah, the thing yeah. is, like, if the immediate thing, you go there, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at the three stripes, Adidas, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you if you look at the flag, United States. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you can think of, oh, they're the, the, the 13 original colonies and then the 50 states. But mm-hmm, this comes mm-hmm. after, right? That is explaining the symbol away. But the symbol, if it's a good symbol, it is, again, reminding you, not reminding you, it is uh, making you think immediately of something specific, right? Mm. That's a good, that's a, um, that's how you know a symbol is working properly, if you want. But an image... Doesn't a, okay, can I push back a little? Sure. Doesn't a word do that, though? What do you mean? Like, when you look at, uh, let me think of a word, cat. Okay. Right, you look at cat. The word cat, yeah. The word cat. Yeah. You're instantly thinking of that thing. But again, that, that's why at the beginning I was saying, look, yeah, I think the letters are um, a subset of symbols, maybe. Okay, but they're distinct. They're distinct, I think. And okay. words are also, because, again. Okay, they're kind of in between. I would say so. All right. Uh, I have a hard time thinking the words are symbolic, though, because I think that they are. Words used in a specific way can be symbolic, but generally speaking, ordinary mm-hmm. language words, they simply represent the concept. It's yeah. the dress of the concept. Well, I don't think that symbols do that. Yeah, I think it's ultimately the question of um, quote-unquote literal representation versus non-literal representation. I was about to say sim- what those mean, if there could be stuff in between. Symbols are metaphors. Images are not. If you're Nietzsche, okay, then everything, the, including words and images, are metaphors, right? Because a metaphor, sure. like think of an analogy, right? Mm-hmm. So like logos and, right? So you have the logos, which Nietzsche would say is already like an analogy, so to speak, of mm-hmm. reality. Mm-hmm. You have perception, which is already a non-truthful, he would say, but a non-literal representation of reality. But then there's no 
true reality there that, that we that we access. can access yes directly that we can access that right yeah yeah but uh, so anyway <laughs> so you interact we're with go, representations we're we're, see now we're, what are we doing the, yeah. far for the trees far for the trees yeah so but regardless some kind of representation we interact with these things mm-hmm. and then they do something to us where like they they stop being mere representations slash symbols and mm-hmm. they start to take on what Mm-hmm. They represent without us even having to think about it, mm-hmm. without me having to consciously translate my words and be like, "What are these red and white stripes with these mm-hmm. stars?" No, they immediately. Yeah, that's why when they burn a flag, you're like, "Oh, you're offended." That means right, something right? exactly. Um, when so, I remember, I remember when I was in uh, the Being in Time seminar mm-hmm. at Montclair, mm-hmm. and I was very much like. Um, Starting with the opposite of the phenomenological perspective, which is like, well, what do you mean? It's just, it's just a light, like a, a blinker mm-hmm. in a car. It's just a light blinking. It doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And then Dr. Hogan was like, that's insane. If you're driving and you see the left, you, that means they're going to turn left. Like it's not, maybe in some sense outside of the world, it mm-hmm. is just like flashes of energy, but like that's not how it is mm-hmm. in the world that you inhabit, right? Mm-hmm. These things are like always already mm-hmm. embedded with, with these meanings. And so when you read, you're getting those. Mm-hmm. When you can't read, you don't have them yet. Mm-hmm. You have to make that leap across, yep. which is... It's hard. It's a very... It's one of those things like... Um, it's like magic. It's like magic. I was going to say it's like the creation of life. It's mm-hmm. like... Ah, that happens. It happens. I get from step one to step three. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't know what did you watch like South Park back in the day? Yeah. You remember the one with the underpants gnomes? Yeah. <laughs> with the, the kid tweaked whose parents yeah. owned the coffee shop? Yeah. And he says he has these underpants gnomes that steal his underpants at night. And they, and they have this whole plot, right? Uh-huh. And then the underpants gnomes have a board and they go, step one, collect underpants. <laughs> step two. Step three, profit. And like, they, there's no connection. <laughs> there's no connection there. Yeah. That's like how I feel with yeah, this stuff. With, the, with start reading and stuff like that. That's, yeah. Because I think that it's such an unconscious process eventually that it's really difficult to. Is why teaching, I don't know how would I teach somebody to read. I have like zero clue how I would do it. To me, it's difficult to teach somebody to ride a bike. So I don't even know how would you. I, to me, like, this elementary teachers are like. I don't know how you do it, but I wonder if if what they're doing is they're just showing the the conditions, and then you have to like have that like Socrates light bulb. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like I I also think of this in terms of aesthetic experience too. Where like you know those images, mm-hmm. you ever see mall rats? Yeah. So you know how in mall rats there's that picture, and they're like, oh, I could see the whatever, yep. and he's like, what do you mean? It's just. <laughs> So you, people don't know there's these books mm-hmm. and they're like optical illusions and you open the book and if you look at it, it just looks like a weird lines and color. And, and you're and like, stuff, what? Yeah. And you have to like let go. Mm-hmm. You have to relax your eyes in a way. And then when you relax, when you let go. Have you seen those things? Have you? Have yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I've done it. Are you able to see them? You had to, I had to learn how to do it. I, yeah. I, for the life of me, never had. <laughs> Never was Wait, really? To... So you're like the guy in Mallrats? Yeah, I can't. I just for the life of me. But I think but... it's like that. I think the teacher's like, come on, don't you see it? Don't you see it? Don't you see? And like this, the student has to eventually make no, the move themselves. Well, you're probably right, Tom, but I don't even know how to show them, right? Like, uh, that's, right. Uh, how do you yeah. to me, it's like 
tell me what red is, right? How do you explain somebody what red is? Like, hey, this is red. But if the person continues to say, oh, is this the square thing red? No, it's mm-hmm. not the square <laughs> thing. It's like just the top of it. It's like, oh, you mean this? Yeah. Like, how do you, like, at some point you give up, right? I remember one time my mom, I was listening to music and I was like, listen to this, listen to this. Of course, like mm-hmm. not understanding like the thing I'm getting when I yeah. listen to music. And I, I described something as angsty. And she's like, what is that? And, you're like, like, oh, and I was like, like, like angst. She's like, what is that? And I was like, uh, and I had to start like thinking of all these related concepts mm-hmm. to explain it, let alone be like, don't you see how this is embodying this without doing it consciously to make it cheesy? <laughs> but anyway, yeah. um, related to all this stuff that we've been talking about, how you understand stuff, mm-hmm. what goes in the process, mm-hmm. we arrive at this, this ultimate issue, which is mm-hmm. the issue, which is what is the text we haven't even talked about the other thing what's the, oh my god yeah so <laughs> i i i i guess in my head i thought we in, unintentionally yeah we kind of indirectly did because like basically we were like well if kant didn't exist mm-hmm. i couldn't understand the critique of pure reason mm-hmm. so although you don't have to have like the 100 mm-hmm. percent access they obviously Somebody's that I, are okay. a necessary Let, condition let's right simplify it as very very sure to the minimal stuff right is the text the author speaking to you in some sense i would have to say yes and is the what you understand from the text is what the author is saying that depends <laughs> on whether the text is the thing communicated from the author or something detached from it mm. if it's the latter then to understand it properly, you wouldn't need that. But if it's the former, you would need to understand what, what Kant was thinking. Yeah. So what does it mean to interpret a text? I don't like this word. <laughs> I, why don't you like the word? Because it has a, an annoying connotation. Okay. Uh, so, and, and I maybe, can see that. Right? Because usually when people bring up the word interpretive, it, it's associated with the person who says like, oh, but it's subjective. It's like the same kind of person says that. Okay. Right? That doesn't mean that has to be really what it means, mm-hmm. but they get used. Like, well, isn't that subject to interpretation? Mm-hmm. When someone says that, what they mean is there's no right answer. Mm. And the, is, was it Derrida who said there's like an infinite ways of interpreting texts? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that all of them are right, though. That's right. That doesn't mean that all of them are right. Um, it doesn't mean that some are, aren't are more accurate than others. So, But here's the thing, right? Assuming that we interpret a text, whatever that means, mm-hmm. does that mean that we're trying to figure out what the other really said? Is that the interpretation? Because that the, the relativism <sighs> thing cannot go there, right? Yeah, because it can't. The, because there is something that somebody is saying. Yeah. So interpreting needs to mean something that's not there's no right answer there yeah or interpreting is just totally different from understanding mm. that'd be the two options is it possible that they're different i don't know i mean i don't know the etymology of interpret do you no not the plan. but yeah. again in interpreting okay in order to understand what the other is saying what does again what does it mean to understand what the other is telling me, right? Because that seems to be the case. Mm-hmm. But then when we explain what Nietzsche is saying and whatever, that's what we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. We're kind of translating okay. to the students what these other people are telling. It's like we speak the same language as the other and we are 
translating into the student's language, and yeah. then in this way the students can learn the language as well. So interpretation is translation. Is it? I'm thinking of um, like when you see world leaders mm-hmm. having a meeting mm-hmm. and they speak different languages, but you have the, the interpreter, yeah. right? Yeah. So translation absolutely mm-hmm. is required mm-hmm. in, in so many areas, like between me, mm-hmm. between the person who translated the text, if it's not English, and the author, and then me and those people, and then me and the students, right? There's like all these different mm-hmm. layers. So if we think of interpretation as translation, mm-hmm. always in play. Okay. But if, it, if it's something beyond that, I think that's when it gets tricky because if maybe it's not obvious, but the issue with interpretation is like if you give me a paragraph and let's say this paragraph contains, I don't know, like 10 sentences. Mm-hmm. And within these 10 sentences, there's about 40 different mm-hmm. Symbols slash representations, mm-hmm. language yeah. things, right? Yeah. And I have, I'm like, this is what this paragraph means. Mm-hmm. And if you get it, in theory, you and people 100 years from now can like make a screwed up pig Latin version of the language where the symbols mean something totally different from what I mean them, mm-hmm. but you can construct them in a way where you're like, maybe I was talking about going on vacation in Italy and you're reading this and it's like instructions on how to make a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Right. So yep. can that happen? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that's like the radical consequence mm-hmm. of radical interpret interpretive theory and mm-hmm. understood in that sense. Um, but I am with you. There has to be some one thing and the only way we can get there is through translation. Mm. Now, if you're wondering how much do you have to get from the author to say that you understand something, mm-hmm. more than nothing is my starting <laughs> point, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you pick up the critique of pure reason mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, so what Kant was saying, and then you say something totally different, you'd be like, no. Not really, right? Not really. Um, it's funny. I was thinking that a lot of students – in the semester especially but in general I've been getting this this responses like well you know in my from my perspective oh yeah this guy is saying this this is the way I understand it I'm like okay this shouldn't be the way you understand it this should be the way this thing is that's yeah. the goal here right um, so we'll see oh and I, I always like okay we'll see how this goes and I had to read it and most of the time but to go back to your original question, what is what even is this thing that we call a text? Because again, we're assuming that one way or another, me and you, I don't think we are, and I think we talked about this in our um, art um, episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think me and you have different opinions and ideas when it comes to uh, uh, if the text is dependent from the blah, 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 blah. we'll talk about that later yeah yeah like the relationship with the other i think we have a different con- we have a, i think slightly different- i think we have differences within our perspective but mm-hmm. probably with like the the average person they'd be like that's like a very insignificant <laughs> difference but possible um but what, he, what even is this thing that we call a text? Yeah, because we've been using the word the whole time. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it's not the thing that you send on your phone. It, that's right. <laughs> that's the first thing that I want to say. That's that is derivative. not it. So um, it should be interesting to know why this is called a text. Yeah, a text message. 
Well, okay, it utilizes. It's not not text. Mm-hmm. It's just not merely it, text. Yes. Hmm. But that has become like the the part for the all, right? Yes. Now, now we use that yeah. text means that when words mean different things yeah. than they used to mean. So what what would you describe as a text? Because I I I don't know. We might be weirdly in agreement, maybe in this okay. case. Let's think of some basic conditions that arise when I mm-hmm. ask, what is a text? Well, first of all, it's symbolic and or representation. Both of them. Sure. Right? Yeah. It's at least one of those, depending on the definitions, you know, the issue we had earlier. So a book is a text. A book is a text. It's a text book. That's right. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, it's linguistic. It's got to be linguistic. I was about to say. If you include art... Mm. Then you broaden your definition of the text. But I think the standard understanding would be it is a linguistic thing. Well, it depends on what you mean by language. Because mm-hmm. do we mean grammar? Because then symbols are not part of it. Hmm. Let's nix langu- uh, language then. Let's say it has to be... Expression? Uh, expressions of meaning... In a non-literal way. In a non-literal way? Yeah. Well, like how we said a text is okay, not, so like not, K not, is not yeah, literally. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So is music text? Is a song a text? Um, so that's it's a good an, question. Uh, uh, it's a um, classical piece, a text. Because song has words so people can tell oh, the lyrics are text, right? Seemingly it has to involve... Is the Moonlight Sonata text? Well, I think this is the question ultimately of what's the difference between symbol and text and what's the difference between art and text, if there is a difference, mm-hmm. right? I think the intuitive answer is to say there are differences, although there are overlaps. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think of like the way to say how a text is distinct. It might not be linguistic, but it might be hermeneutic. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking of It's some... symbolic. Okay. The other ones might be. I think of something that you. I'm thinking of something that you you is, won't like. Is speech a text? No. Okay, but they're very similar. Mm, speech that is not recorded and represented, not a text. Because I was gonna say, one of the things that tells you a song is not a text mm-hmm. in the intuitive way is I have like a problem. <laughs> it's not that serious, but I think it's like a. I, I don't like reading lyrics mm-hmm. to yeah, songs. You, you told me that, yeah. right? Um, and it's not merely that I don't like it. I think if you're reading lyrics, you're in, you're engaging with a different object. Like that's not what the song is. But you're okay with singing along. That's different. Yes. Okay. Yes, because when I'm reading the lyrics, that's a text, right? That's like and the written. song itself is not. You're saying it seems like it because the way you interact, it is either not a text, or it is a different type of text, but it's not the same thing as or reading. What, or maybe you're interacting with the text differently. Well, if that's the case, then you would have to say speech, recorded speech, is text, which I uh, inclined to say so. So then, the phrase and technology speech to text recognition is wrong. It's text one to text two translation. Well, no, because speech to text is like, what are you doing? You're just talking and it's translating. It's making into 
the other, the formal text. But really, it's still like text to text. Yes. Yeah. Uh, hmm. So also, maybe it's just symbols with meaning. Okay. Maybe a text. Uh-huh. Uh, just, don't, don't, I know what you're going to say. Just to piss you off. I'm going to write it down. <laughs> just to piss you off. Text is anything that is subject to interpretation. Okay, I wrote on my hand the word everything, so that's close <laughs> enough. All things that are subject to interpretation as text that can be interpreted are text. So understood? Mm-hmm. So everything. <laughs> no, 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 wait. Um, everything that is subject to interpretation, meaning that it can be explained away and therefore understood. Okay, so quali is not a text? No. Okay. Okay. Um, and I will add this to be have a material um, reproducible uh, substrate. I don't know what you're going to call it. So the text Existent. has a, uh, a materially reproducible substrate. Mm-hmm. It's got to. This is why speech itself is not a text. Uh, which, so you don't actually agree that speech is text? What we're doing right now, if it wasn't recorded, is not text. But the recording makes the it a text. The recording makes it text. Do you think that that's a side issue? Um, that difference is met with a difference in how we interact with it? Yeah. Like if I were to interact, I think there is too, um, with you telling me five sentences versus listening to a tape, mm-hmm. obviously aside from the fact that there's a tape, like is my vantage point mm-hmm. is my hermeneutic lens Correct. different and i think there is this is why you cannot really have a conversation with chat gpt okay and i think the reason is mm-hmm. because text whatever it is has authority okay and i think the text has an authority that the non-text does not have and i think it has to do with the fact that the text is finite because he gets his fixed characteristics by the fact that it's material. And that's it, right? I have, like, if, you're, if I'm talking to you, mm-hmm. I could just keep asking you follow up questions mm-hmm. and it's like less meaningful and there's mm-hmm. less authority. But if you, ha- if you died mm-hmm. and I just had like some things you wrote down, I'm like, mm-hmm. this is less and now it actually it's more yeah. because it's less. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the text has that command. But that, I think that's derived by its material nature. By, by its the fact material that, nature. But the fact that it's reproducible. And that it's there and it's not just words. Okay. Does it have to be? But I agree with the authority stuff. I think that it gains the authority okay. from this metaphysical status, if you want. Sure. Um, do you... But what about like sounds? Because think of a song, right? Like mm-hmm. let's say what's a significant song from the, let's say the 60s or the 70s that you and I would both be like, oh, that's. But again, why is it significant though? Well, let's say. Is there, is it a, a, what's like a significant Beatles song to you? Gee, uh, like, what do you think of when you're like, God. oh yeah, this Beatles song? I don't know, man. So many. Is there an album you think of in specific? Probably Sgt. Pepper's. You think of Sgt. Pepper's? Maybe, okay. Yeah. I think Abbey Road, but we can go with Sgt. Pepper's like when I'm 64, mm-hmm. right? What's happening if we were to just go in the car and start singing. No, I... You know I what I mean? Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I think that that gains all the stuff that we were talking about because it is recorded. Yeah. Because if, if the Beatles performed that song once at a concert and it was it, mm-hmm. 
that's not interpreting that. There's no meaning. There's no understanding it because it's simply it was once and done. Okay, so maybe I agree. I think I was more, um, I wasn't challenging you. I was literally wondering like if us singing a song counts as material reproduction. If it's volatile, meaning that you sing it, it's gone. There's nothing else there. No. Well, I mean that like, is there, a, if we rewrite and mm-hmm. reprint books, that's mm-hmm. very obviously, and like recordings, mm-hmm. that's very obviously mechanically yeah. reproducible. But me singing. Just the instance of you singing that once and not being recorded. Yes. That's not text. Okay. So if it's not text, but mm-hmm. what am I, is it a mechanical reproduction of a text? Because it doesn't seem material when I'm singing a song, if the song is a text. Mm-hmm. You are... And just to finish the... Because mm-hmm. I don't think I connected the dots. Because if me singing is not um, a material or mechanical, whatever, reproduction, mm-hmm. then the song can't count as a text. Right? Why or at least not? it can only count as a text if you're saying... Because it could be recorded. Yeah. Is the recording the mix of a text? Then this is where I disagree. Okay. And I think Gadamer has an answer to this because mm-hmm. he thinks the text lies in tradition. Yeah, and, no, I, I actually agree with that. But tradition is not just recorded history. Tradition is every time you speak to people and it might be non-reproducible instances of speech. But it's always the same speech. But even like us doing this right now, he would say, not, okay. the, not the recording of us, mm-hmm. but like me and you talking, in our yep. experience talking, mm-hmm. he would say that is text. No, I, It's tradition. I get it. In a loose sense, I understand it. Mm-hmm. However, I disagree with the fact that every instance of speech is text because it's tradition. I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think. think that if we're talking about oral tradition stuff, right, where, yeah. you, you know, you... There's like tribes that they tell the same stories at specific times of the year. Mm. And of course, there are little variations holidays. because it's holidays and stuff like that. That is text. Okay. Because the material recordings in here, if you want, right? It's in your brain, if you're in your mind, whatever you want. And that is there. And it's reproduced and reproducible mm-hmm. by committing it to, you know, to memory, right? Yeah. And that is fine. And I think that Gadamer, when he talks about this, he's thinking more, not more, he's thinking about the fact that language is, you know, passed down. And mm-hmm, so therefore, mm-hmm. every word that you're using is embedded in this tradition. And mm-hmm, therefore, mm-hmm. if tradition is what makes speech text, that's you, you have to admit that it's also text, right? I but I disagree with that idea. It, I think... And I, I listen, I haven't read Gunnar in forever. So yeah, yeah. No, I, he makes I a distinction not... between, like, picture and play mm-hmm and art and these things they're just all hermeneutic objects yeah yeah and i think i think this becomes easier for me if if we if we say that there is just a more general category called something like hermeneutic objects or symbols and then some of them are text some of them are speech some of them are art there are certain there is there are things that can enter the realm of a text okay under certain conditions Speech is a great example of it. Not all speech is text. Speech becomes text, for example, when it's recorded, when it's memorialized, mm-hmm. when it's um, reproduced. 
in any way, shape, or form. Otherwise, it's not text. While there are other things that maybe of the same kind, they can become works of art without being text. But I really have a hard time understanding how that works, which one will be that. Okay. Because I think that... Okay. Uh, improvisation. Like musical improv. Yeah, okay. musical improv. Art, but not text. So I don't want to harp too much on this, but like what if I'm listening to a particular live version of something that was recorded text <laughs> okay but in the moment improv improv not text okay i think that the fact that it is volatile that goes away the moment it's performed if it's something that's not staying because i think that in that case the concept of tradition is fundamental mm-hmm. a tradition cannot be something that happens once right. for something to be a tradition needs to be repeated right yeah and therefore Nothing that it's improv and that goes away, that you have no recordings of it. Those things cannot be textual, right? Cannot be text. But they can still be meaningful. Of course. So in other words, text is not the totality of meaning, you would say. There's meaning outside of text. Absolutely. Okay. There is no... Now, does all text have meaning? No. There's text without meaning? Well, my initial thought was... Um, random words altogether. Even just random up. scribbles. And mm-hmm. the, the the obvious response, though, would be like, but you were trying to convey mm-hmm. a meaninglessness. Um, what was so it? So I, I think... Go ahead. Wait, what were you going to say? No, I was saying, like it's like the Palo Alto School, like the... The Paul Vasilavic stuff. Everything is communication. Every the four. Oh, they I, don't can, know, if, I don't know about that. If it is, you know, the, the the meaning that you don't agree or that you don't know. No, what, I'm not what familiar with that. Oh, okay, but I. So here's the thing that I bet people listening are wondering. Mm-hmm. That is, I probably stupidly should have mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Probably when people think of text, including me, if mm-hmm. I'm breaking the hermeneutic object into a bunch of categories is the thing that makes the text text as opposed to other hermeneutic object is the stuff that it's written down. It's written word, right? So there's spoken word, Mm -hmm. there's written word, there's expressions that are neither Mm -hmm. written or spoken but are expressed in some other way. Mm. And so I think... Are you of the (laughs) idea that text has to be something written down? I think that's the intuitive belief um, but then we said the oral tradition is text too. Well, I said maybe it was text. I was playing <laughs> by your rules. Okay, okay. Um, I probably wouldn't say I, – I, I think it could be converted to text. Mm. I think it's still – like for me, when I say what is the text, I – this is already an, in very interesting because we meant different things. Mm-hmm. See, this is why we have to understand what we mean by the question. Mm-hmm. When I said what is text – the kind of what's the word? How do I use this? Average everyday preliminary understanding I had of the word text, and my mm-hmm. question was, what is the thing that we are hermeneutically engaged with in written form? 
Mm. And I think your thing was, what is the thing that we are hermeneutically engaged with mostly always? Mm -hmm. Or something like that. I don't see a difference between... I, I, I know the difference you're making. I understand. Mm -hmm. That's, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I don't see a difference between the written stuff and then... But so we agree, though, that um, hermeneutic object extends beyond the realm of text. There are, there are other things up to interpretation that's not text, yes. Such as? Symbols. But aren't symbols recorded or recordable? <laughs> I'm, I'm lost there. I'm lost. But I think that those are things that can be recorded, but that doesn't make them okay. text, right? There are other things that can be recorded or not text. Music, text? Uh, instrumental music. Instrumental music. Probably. I'm not, I don't, I'm not want to commit to this. It's but an interesting thing you're doing here. Uh, but Probably. Okay, I'm going to ask you a really easy question. Sure. To ground things. Always, always. Don't believe when people say that. That's, <laughs> that's like the run. <laughs> what do they say? What are the 10 words? I'm from the government and I'm here to help. You never trust that? <laughs> exactly. Like, you never trust them when they say anything. It's, it's going to be easy. Okay. What is a book that we've both read? Like a very. The Symposium? I haven't even read all the Symposium. Uh, so, like, a, like a, a fiction book, let's say. A fiction book? Gee, uh, I don't know. Tell me. We can ask two versions. What is, have you read? Um, 1984. I was going to go. We had, because we had recently talked about, what was his face? You didn't like him that much, like Milan Kundera uh -huh. or something. Um, no, we got to go classic. What's like the most, uh, The Great Gatsby? Sure. Okay. What is The Great Gatsby? I think this is an easier question. Okay. A novel? It's a novel. Okay. So it's this... I don't know, I don't know what, what, I, what answer <laughs> you're looking for. Like, when you say... Is it text? Yes. Uh, agreed. But what is the text of The Great Gatsby? Like the plot? I don't know. Oh, oh, I guess see what you're saying. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. What is that? What, uh, this is I wonder if the particular will be easier. I don't think so because oh gosh, because <laughs> then I'm thinking I'm saying probably you know I'm overthinking this like it is a specific novel, okay, a series of meaningful stuff if, produced a specific author. Is the Great Gatsby mm. the text? The meaning that. F. Scott Fitzgerald was trying to capture in the written form that you are now attempting to access. I thought that we said that we could answer that question before. That's very difficult to answer, isn't it? Okay, I'll ask a simpler question. Is the <laughs> is the text of the Great Gatsby is it the plot? Or is there something else? Or is, are you talking about the meaning of it? Liter in a literal sense though, not like the the moral of the story, okay. I mean, like literally, is it is it the is it the characters, is it the events happening between the characters, is it some larger point? Like, what is the thing that I'm doing? I think are all those things together. It's all those things together. Yeah, I would say so. Okay. Also, the larger point and the meaning capital M, as well. Okay. I don't think you can. 
Otherwise, there's there's not great Gatsby there, right? Right, because then it's just it has no lines, it has no definition. Yeah. Okay, I don't think this helped you. No, I'm getting there. <laughs> what is Beuthafro? Same question, right? I, same thing. Uh, you will get the same answer from me. Okay, with the difference that there's less fluff. <laughs> yeah, and there's like a definitive thing that Plato yeah. was, was yeah. trying to do, right? Yeah. Um, Probably Fitzgerald had something too about weed. So I'm wondering, like, what 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 do these things mm-hmm. have in common? It seems like there's whatever the text is, mm-hmm. there's a meaning. Yeah, and you are uncovering the meaning, or gaining access, or it's, discovering. Not discovering because it's no, not new, not but you are you're you're accessing it. Yeah, I want to say like you're you're uncovering. Well, because discovery doesn't mean you're creating it. Discovery means no. it's already there. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm trying to think of like what what is the bloop, the light bulb that happens when you engage with a text with a text. Like, what are you doing? You're like you're. Are you performing a dance like a mental dance that's supposed to mean something? You're making moves. In your head? What's happening in your head when you engage with it? Because I think this is um, essential for understanding what... What that is? What that uh, is. What are you doing with it? You are, to be faithful to the things that I said in, I think, in the first episode, you are the beginning of the second arm. At this point, I don't know anymore. <laughs> Time. Um, um, I think that what we're doing is literally meshing together the whatever it's there from the other with our horizon and making it into something that all of a sudden you don't know anymore what comes from again. <laughs> Hence now, which could be more than just the author and you because there's like worldness yeah. in the author and in you. Yeah, definitely. So you're entering this web. Yeah, if you want so, if you want to say so. But then again, that doesn't mean that it's got to be just written. So I think if there's any disagreement that I would latch on to, I think the only thing of significance-ish mm-hmm. mm-hmm. is the fact that I think you use the word text in a broader way. In sense. a broader way to mean more so, maybe not exactly, but more so what I mean when I say like the hermeneutic object. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, Again, I hate that everything is text because not everything is text. Yeah. But more things than not are probably. Okay. I have one final question. Go ahead. Because maybe this will get somewhere. Okay. What is absolutely not text? Not a text. Um, I think we said it. Like, Did we? Yeah. In the improvisations, conversations. What about like, a, like if I go outside and look at the tree? Is the tree text? No. Okay. So nature's. Not, not nature text. in the colloquial sense is not text. Not text. Okay. So maybe a definition that I would give is an arty text is an artifact that is created. Created, material, reproduced, and reproducible. That's it. Hmm. And it carries some meaning. Because I don't think there's text without meaning. 
Fair. I think I would be a little more narrow. But in general, um, this is one that I've always been interested in. Yeah. Because it's anything with language and mind yeah. relations. and Yeah, this is and this is not easy. I mean, this oh, no. is not absolutely. I mean, you could see. Yeah. You are like dead. <laughs> that is definitely not easy. I, now I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> so uh, I, my brain is fried at this point. Uh, well, you guys are listening to this text, if it is a text, which yeah. I would contend it's not. You would contend it's not? I would contend it is a hermeneutic object. So our podcast episodes are not text. They have the property you're looking for. I just wouldn't. This is a verbal dispute at this okay. point, which is how you know to end the conversation. It's exactly. either a really important thing or a really unimportant thing. And I, I don't true, know anymore. true, true. But you know, it's getting boring here. We don't disagree anymore that much. That's not. That's. Do we haven't disagreed in like a an long, old married couple in a long time? Yeah. So you want to do something where we're just fighting? No. <laughs> No, I don't think I had the strength right now to fight with you. All right. <laughs> see well, you later, see you guys. guys.